Welcome to the BDC podcast, a podcast in which staff at Barking and Dagenham College share insightful and entertaining conversations with a digital learning team. We hope to enrich the community at the college by making connections in each fortnightly episode. I'm Nathan, I'm a digital learning apprentice. I'm Bailey, I'm also a digital learning apprentice. And today we are joined by Gemma Castle, student mentor. How are you, Gemma? I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, really good. How are you guys? I'm well. Yeah, Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. So Gemma, how long have you been at the college? I've actually worked here um, for about 12 years. Wow. um, Coming up to 10 with uh, the college. And in that time, what's been your favourite experience? Um, I don't have one favourite experience. It's really difficult to slim it down. Um, But I do have to say that the most favourite bit of my roles in the different roles that I've had, has always been working with really challenging students. Getting that point where they don't want to talk to you, they don't care to come to lessons, and then just that that switch that flicks on where they really understand they can trust you and you build that rapport with them, that's what I love. That's why I'm still here. That sounds really rewarding. Thank you. It is. So on this podcast, we ask our guests to prepare a topic that they'd like to talk about. What have you brought along to talk about, Gemma? So there's a couple of things that are really passionate um, for me, and that's my performing arts, that side of me, um, and then my advocacy for mental well-being and mental health. It's something that I've always believed in, I've had personal experience in, and I do actually find that both of them kind of support one another, both sides. So, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here today. Excellent. Well, Gemma, whenever you're ready, the floor is yours. Okay. Um, So I was a terribly, terribly shy child. Um, I didn't socialise with people. I stood on my mum's foot as often as I could when with her. So when it came to going to secondary school and becoming a little bit more independent, it was more important for me to become more confident. So I got involved with a local youth theatre dance group and um, the Broadway youth theatre group, actually, the Barking Broadway Theatre Drama Group. Started doing just workshops, really, and found a real passion, a real love for performing. I've always enjoyed singing and dancing, and I think I've done that since I was a child. And I know... ABBA talks about it famously, about dancing before you can crawl and many other, you know, famous people talk about their their passion starting from a young age. But I really did have that love. I used to have concerts in my bedroom uh, that my teddy bears really loved. Couldn't wait to get through the door to see that. And so then it developed into something more stage wise and I was actually performing It did help my confidence. It did help my anxiety, um, which then, as I said, led me into that understanding of how performing can actually support your mental well-being. So, yeah, I mean, I have a passion for my passion for singing has has continued to grow stronger than um, acting. Singing and dancing is is what I love doing. Um, And uh, 
the shower was always your best friend for singing, always. No one can complain in there because you can't hear them. But I do love performing on stage when I when I sing. I love that feeling of embracing the song, embracing the music. It's something that maybe if you if you're not a performing type, you might not comprehend it. But I suppose if you play games and you get really involved in the game, it's just like that in a song. So I tend to find that I can lose myself in a song and really enjoy that moment without having to think about anything else. So that's really stuck with me is the, is the singing out of all of the performing sides. It's the singing. Um, musical theatre is my favourite. Do you guys enjoy musical theatre? I haven't personally watched. I have never been to the theatre. I've never been. I would love to go. Never. Never. Wow. I would love to though. Nathan? Uh, I have actually become a bit of a musical theatre fan in the last few months and me and Sophie have been talking about starting amateur dramatics recently. No way. Well, you can put me down for that. Definitely. Um, even, I mean, a lot of films now are becoming, you know, musical theatre genres now, a lot. Disney Plus has just, you know, exploded with musical theatre um, productions um, in films, so musical films. But musical theatre songs I just adore. I've had singing competitions where I've sung pop songs and, you know, chart hit songs and good old oldie songs and the feedback that I tend to get is, oh, that's great, but it's a bit sounding like it's musical theatre rather than a hit song, rather than just a pop song. So I think I'm naturally drawn to that side of things. But, um, I, yeah, I just, I, I love it. I love that sense. Um, I can perform to, you know, I have performed to hundreds and hundreds of people Um locally at theatres locally and in London as well on the West End and as soon as you get the bright lights that's okay because you can't see anybody just look up look at the bright lights and just sing so that's that's absolutely what I enjoy and of course the the acting and the dancing as well has been something that I've enjoyed but it's always it's come with its challenges absolutely it's come with its challenges um, I developed stage fright out of the blue, came out of nowhere um, in my early 20s. I suddenly became very aware I was on stage. And that didn't happen with singing, but it did with acting. And I couldn't focus on the character anymore that I was playing. I could just see loads of people staring back at me. The lights didn't matter anymore. And that was quite scary for me. And I think at that point, that's when I've really looked at how it can affect but also support your mental health and, and what I can do to support my mental health with performing because I did enjoy that feeling of playing somebody else um, and, and being someone else for the moment. How did you um, manage to get over that stage, right? It took me... A while yeah because at first I thought I'll just ignore it I'll just it was just a one-off I'll just ignore it I'll carry on performing and it it got 
worse and worse. So it took me a while to understand this wasn't just an anxious performance. This was actually how I felt being on stage acting. So I had to take some time away. I had to look at my confidence level and also stresses. What was it that got to me? Um, I'm a wonderful, wonderful, unique human being or one of the few human beings that uh, can't even have a cup of tea because caffeine gets to me. <laughs> um, so if I am absolutely dog tired, a cup of tea will wake me up for the, the rest of the day. So that was also something that I, I realized that impacted me as well. Um, and through conversations with doctors and directors, um, we kind of just realized that there were things that were going on that triggered this anxious buildup. And it included having a cup of tea before a performance to wake yourself up. That just sort of triggered my heart, my brain into, into sort of thinking, oh, your heart's beating quite quickly. You must be anxious. So I stepped away from the acting side because originally I did, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a performer, what they call a triple threat in the industry, um, because I trained in that. I'd done all my training up to degree level in that. And then I sort of took a step back and realized if it was going to cause me so much anxiety, is it worth this for such a competitive career? Is it worth it? Whereas if I enjoy the singing and I don't get that anxious feeling from the singing, why not just cut back? And so I looked at how else I could perform as such without actually being on stage. And oddly, this job allows me to do that. This job allows me to explore the different sides of me and even, you know, sometimes that fake it till you make it. If you're with students who may be challenging or, you know, you walk in, I'm five foot four and you walk in and you see just a group of big lads and you don't know their character. They could be the friendliest and normally they are, but you walk into that room and they're chatting away, they're rowdy and you've got to put on that persona of you will listen to me. Yeah. I am, I'm, you know, my, my voice and my power in the room will be the leader of this group. So I kind of just adjusted, just, just went to the side, took a sidestep, realized singing's wonderful for me. I love it. Acting, I need to, you know, maybe put on a pedestal somewhere of, of beautiful nostalgic memories, but I still get the chance to do that in this job and, and help others with what I have learned along the way. So, yeah. That is a question I was going to ask actually about the performing is um, what would you say is one of your best memories of performing? Oh, well. If you have, if you have a favourite, that is. Um, so I did a variety performance at the Queen's Theatre in Hornchurch and that was singing. And that was one of my last biggest performances, but it was sold out and... I I took everything in. It was it was just so 
clear every moment, you know, almost went slow. And I did a couple of pieces with a group. There was a group of us and we just had the best time. There was no pressure from directors. We we designed it ourselves. We'd rehearsed it ourselves and performed it. So that's a really sweet memory of mine, of, of, of a great performance that I did. Um, I have to say my first big theatre performance was also with Queen's Theatre and that was just open auditions. I got the lead role, which I was just ecstatic, absolutely over the moon to get the lead role. And I remember people coming up to me at the end, complete strangers. Gemma, you were brilliant. Oh my goodness, are you the one that played this character? You were amazing. And that feeling, you know, because there is a bit of ego in performing. Absolutely there is. But that feeling was just amazing, like these complete strangers. And whilst I was in character, children coming up to me and and I'm still in character, you know, I'm the princess. I'm not Gemma, I'm the princess. And and you've got children going, oh, princess, princess, can you sign my book? Or can like, can I have a picture with you? Like my coloring book, you know, <laughs> not, not like the bestseller or anything, but they were great memories to hold on to. Yeah. Great memories. So going in, it is very much fearful but then you have to switch it on. You have to be confident and go, this is it. This is my part. You're the lead role. Go for it. Um, but then coming out of a performance, I was very critical of myself. I never said, well done. It was lovely getting that feedback from other people. I could never do that for myself. And again, that's when I also started to recognize that maybe I need to look a bit more into my mental well-being. Why can't I do that? Why can't I give myself good feedback? But it is absolutely an ego you need. I have done some comedy performing as well. And that is the ultimate ego of any performing is comedy. Because you have to believe you're funny. If you don't, the audience aren't going to believe you're funny. So... Comedy writing is so difficult. There's weeks worth of writing and rehearsing. So by the time you perform your piece, you don't find it funny. And your tutor, your, you know, your comedy tutor doesn't find it funny either. But you have to get the timing perfect. And then you have to go out there with the ego that other people will find it funny. And... I like to think I'm naturally funny, which sometimes my students say, don't say that, miss. If you say you're cool, then you're not cool. <laughs> if you say you're funny, you're not funny. But I like to think I'm naturally funny. But writing comedy is very difficult. So you do have to go that with, their, with such an ego. And then afterwards, you're constantly overthinking, or I was anyway, going, why did that joke really land? I don't think so. Did that person, they kind of rolled their eyes there. They didn't find that funny. Do other people think that? So it's a complex process. And obviously I imagine, you know, when you get to the Hollywood 
side of, of the stars, they probably, you know, go through similar things. Some of them may have that complete attitude of, no, I am, I am God's gift. Put a camera on me and I am perfection itself. But I think it's always good to be a little bit humble and learn from what you're, what you're doing and what you've done. Definitely. Because if it doesn't go right, you've just got to carry on. And moving forward when it comes to failure is such an important lesson because you can still learn and progress from making a lot of mistakes. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that is another part of what I do today, helping my learners. Failing isn't just a case of going into a test, not doing well, and then having to retake that test. Failing for some learners is, and some individuals as well, but, you know, talking about my role, um, failing for some learners is not having the brand new trainers that everyone's talking about. Failing is not getting into college on time and the rest of the college, you know, the rest of the group staring at them as they walk through the door. Failing is not having friends in a group and seeing other people in the group laughing to one another. So failure is very personal and it can take a lot for a learner to get over that failure, especially with social media, given this constant need for instant gratification and instant positivity. I need those likes. I need more followers. I need to be popular. I need to watch the latest Instagrammer or TikTok, you know, individual, you know, so I know the new dance or the new craze that's out. And if I don't, I'm a failure. So teaching and supporting those individuals to becoming more aware of themselves can help them identify, first of all, why they think that is a failure, who has told them, who has given that impression that that means you're a failure, but also understanding that one, we all face it. We all face little small failures in a day, but we also face achievements in a day and some wins. And it's about those wins, small or, or big, taking them and how to move on from that. A lot of youngsters these days, and please, I am young. I am young. I know I've said I've been in this job for a very long time. I started when I was five, okay? I'm a child. I, I'm aware that a lot of these youngsters now are playing games where they can instantly restart, you know, or reload, going onto social media where they can instantly switch it off or create fake accounts to make them look better or seem better. It's very difficult for teenagers and, and young adults now, and again, especially since COVID, where we didn't have that that sort of social development time for a lot of these youngsters, you know, sort of that that adolescent need to socialize, it can be very difficult for youngsters to realize that they are still developing themselves and it's okay to fail. It's okay to not have the latest shoes. It's okay to not do well on a test. It's about getting back, realizing what's important to you and focusing on that. And it's so important to accept not only failure, but success when it comes to mental health. Yes, absolutely. It really is. If someone is struggling, 
reach out. Talking really does help. And it's so difficult at the beginning. And it's something that sounds so cliche. Some people don't have friends, family, carers to talk to. Some people are really all alone. So there are so many apps that can help as well with mental health. Calm apps, um, Silver Cloud. There's a number of them for different um, people. There's, for, especially for youngsters, there's Together All, which used to be called Big White Wall. Um, but, you know, there's, there's loads of apps that if you don't want to talk to friends and family or you don't have those connections around you, you can talk to people. There's services as well. Unfortunately, the public health services, our um, our NHS, CAMS and IAPT, uh, they are overrun at the moment and we are going to see increases because of COVID and isolation that, you know, would have had a knock-on effect with mental health. But for me, if I can provide the platform and that space and trust for those learners to come to me and do what I can to help them if they're anxious, if they're lonely, if they're stressed, if I can do that, then that's a win for me. Thank you, Gemma. Both of those topics, I think we've both got loads of questions for, but for now we're going to go to a lunch break. Gemma, what do you have for your lunch break? Okay, so I have to just say this first of all because I need to know that there is more than just me out there that enjoys this. Um, tuna, sliced spinach leaves and sultanas. And I, I know that we're on radio, so I'm not going to get any instant feedback, <laughs> but I can see from your faces that that is not a winner here. I don't know where or when it started, but I just really enjoy the flavor. And they have to be fresh and dry sultanas. They can't be plumpy, juicy ones because then it's too sweet. So I don't know where that's come from. So I have to say for a dish that is just, I could have that breakfast, lunch and dinner. I just, I'm not really a fan of tuna. Okay, I'll let you <sighs> off. I can't. I'm still trying to picture it <laughs> in my head. It's beautiful. Do you have, do you like wrap the spinach leaves around it or do you no, just eat so it all together? The raw spinach leaves, you sort of curl up and then you slice it so it makes it easier to slice. Mix it into your tuna with a bit of mayo, a bit of salad cream. And then you add half a handful with a tin of tuna maybe half a handful of of sultanas mix that in and then straight onto a nice bit of bread i'm gluten-free so a nice gluten-free roll no butter i'm not a fan of butter i don't know why i don't like butter and then enjoy it oh it's beautiful but the other thing that i really thought about was my desserts so in my staff room upstairs in Elliot, I bring in cakes. I bake cakes. I've always baked. That's also been a help for mental health, but it's just something that I've learned from my mum. We always baked um, as children. And so cakes, I love baking cakes. Whether I can eat them or not, I bring them in. I've, I always have, you know, positive feedback from those. So cakes yeah I think for me lemon drizzle and raspberry cake especially as it gets into the warmer months but you can't go wrong with a chocolate cake chocolate fudge do you guys have favorite cakes 
yeah, chocolate cake for me. Chocolate cake. Can't yeah, go wrong with mine it. is um, lemon drizzle for me. Let's see. I love lemon drizzle. <laughs> if we had a, if we had them here, I know that I would at least please you both yeah. with one each. See, and I do take requests. I may start having to charge though. <laughs> what else do you like baking outside of cakes? I am a, a sweet fan when it comes to baking. Savory sides, I like to I like to try and hide vegetables. So if I can hide vegetables in a meal, I think it's something I've I've grown up doing just to get for the people that I feed who don't particularly like vegetables to get them to eat more. So I do like, for example, chicken fajita dishes. I like making my own chicken fajita, like peppers, carrots. I'll add very finely chopped celery, onion, again, chopped spinach. Just have a thing about spinach, I think. Um, yeah, so anything, any dish, that I can do, like beef mince, anything that I can then make, you know, add the, you know, those vegetables in, make a nice, delicious, warming meal. Something that makes you feel good. And also, I have to let you know that as a baker myself, if you bake something yourself, there's no calories in it. No. <laughs> because you have to ask yourself, did I put calories in the bowl? No. I may have put flour in, I may have put eggs in, I did not add calories. So, you know, eat your heart out. Can I ask you a question about the chocolate cake? Absolutely. Are you chocolate fudge with chocolate buttercream? I would say I am because I don't know the difference. If it is chocolate and it's a cake, I will eat it. Okay, this is good to know. And lemon drizzle with lemon zest in? I'm not sure. I usually just get the, I mean, I'm not really a massive baker, but if I feel like baking, I'll just buy the box of it with the lemon icing that you just add water to. Oh dear. <laughs> okay. Okay. It doesn't think sound too fun for you. <laughs> I've got, no, I've, I've got two cakes that I now need to make to prove to you what baking, home baking is and how you can eat so much deliciousness without any calories in. Amazing, thank you. Joe Wicks will be so proud of me. <laughs> well, Especially working in a college. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> promoting healthy foods, yeah. Okay, that's the lunch break over. So Gemma, I've got a lot of questions to ask about both of your topics. They're both really interesting to me. So the first question I'd like to ask is to do with performing, and that's about the escapism aspect of it. So when you're performing, do you feel that sense of escapism? Yes. Yes. So when I was learning um, in sixth form, we had a teacher who would tell us that regardless of what we were going on, what was happening outside, we left our problems at the door and we came in as these neutral beings that were ready to take on a character. And that was very much method acting. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But we always had that discipline in place that regardless of what you're going through, the moment you have a script in front of you, the moment you are in a rehearsal room, you are ready to take on that character. So I loved that. And I loved accents. Accents has stuck with me. I love doing them. 
I seem to have this kind of osmosis effect for just absorbing someone's accent and then getting carried away with it to the point where I don't realize I'm doing it. And sometimes it can come off as sounding a bit cheeky, but I'm just enjoying listening and mirroring what they do. So I think escapism has kind of seeped into my everyday a little bit. I think I do have to ask though, I think we all escape a little bit. You know, we all like when you, when you wake up in the morning, you might be having a bad morning and then you get to work and you, you have to put on that, that front, don't you? Or that character of everything's fine. So what I do with performing was just an elevated level of what I think most people do every day when they come to work or even when they socialize, sometimes they choose to show certain parts of their personality. And, you know, that's totally acceptable. In fact, it's quite healthy, actually, as long as it doesn't become, you know, sort of extreme levels. But we all feel different when we're around different people and different levels of comfort. So the escapism of performing is just that elevated level, really. Yeah. And I imagine when it comes to performing, there's this sense of community that you get with working with other people. There is, until you work with people who maybe aren't so supportive and then you feel very much on your own. Um, I've had a couple of times where I've felt a little bit outspoken maybe about some choreography and it's very much divided me and a couple of other performers. Again, you've, you've got to remember that you're working with egos. That is what you're working with. And so it's important that you're aware of other individuals and not sort of making it a me show. Um, I remember I got told off actually by a director once because I cleaned up the set and it was supposed to be messy. And I had no idea. And there was just this lecture about, oh, everyone has to brush an actor's ego, but they never understand things. You just go away and, and learn your lines. And it just, you know, it's not a reflection on all directors. Please don't think that. But it was a real lesson in um, just sort of, you know, keeping your place and being aware of others, whatever role they have to do, being aware of that. And don't clean. That's my other lesson. <laughs> just don't clean. <laughs> I know you just um, mentioned about there sometimes being a divide. Has there ever been a divide if you've got a part maybe that another performer wanted or is it never really like that? I've had almost that before, almost. One ended tragically for me and taught me to be very humble. And the other one wasn't really an issue, but could have been. So when I got my first lead role um, at Queen's Theatre, it was for a community play. So I do have to say, you know, I'm not those because they are brilliant. If, if you've never been to the theatre, Queen's Theatre, their residence um, crew are amazing. The cast there, they, they know so many instruments. They're just wonderful, very talented. But yes, my first one, I, I got the lead role and I was so excited and I'd obviously done some training. So I had 
different, you know, groups of friends that were also performers. And I was, oh, I'm going to announce it on Facebook as you do when you're a teenager. I'm going to tell everybody. And my mum was like, don't. Just stay humble. Don't. And I thought it's the community play. It's, I mean, it was massive for me, but it wasn't like you're going to be working alongside Meryl Streep in Hollywood next week. Get on a plane now. But that was very much don't. So that was kind of an, an odd lesson to learn about the, the divides of being proud and then the worry of my my mum thinking that this could it could come back to me. So, you know, perhaps she she knew better. I, I don't know. But um, the other time was uh, I was performing on the West End, actually, and the lead actor there, the leading lady, we'd had a bit of a disagreement, not majorly, but it was very clear that this individual was going to shine whether the light was on them or not. And so at the end of the performance, I'm waiting to come on for my bit, getting really hacked up. This was at Her Majesty's Theatre, you know, where Phantom of the Opera is. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful building. And I'm getting ready and she has to deliver my line, my cue line. And she missed it and went on to the next one. And so I had to fake a cue line from somebody and march onto the set and just march onto the stage and just do my bit. Um, so that was that was quite a, a an opening piece because I had been lucky to get lead roles. So that was quite a um, moment for me to to go. Oh, okay, maybe don't upset anybody because you know if they if they're in a more powerful position, shall we say, they can quite easily just manipulate something. The audience won't know, but you'll know. That to me would be completely terrifying. I mean, did you pick up any perseverance skills through experiences like that? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the biggest thing that you have to learn is to take your opinions and know that they are your opinions, your beliefs, your values. So if someone else has an opinion about you, a belief or value that you maybe don't agree with, that's okay. But if it's something that they feel towards you, it doesn't mean that you are that belief value. You are that opinion that they are saying. So you do, you have to build yourself up, um, and, you know, get a little bit of a, well, you do have to get a, a hard skin and understand that it's how you feel you did, how you feel you are as an individual, what can you bring to the table and knowing your worth, again, leading back to, to mental well-being, it can be quite crushing and the performing industry is, is very, very crushing. It's, you know, it's kind of like, one to a thousand for, for, for jobs. So it is about knowing your worth. You will get so many rejections, some of them for odd reasons. I once got rejected because it was for a panto performance and there were two people playing and I didn't fit the same size costume as the other one that they'd already cast and they wanted to make it identical. So I gave a great audition. They said, brilliant, everything's on point. 
but you just don't fit the size that we're looking for because we need you to fit the same size costume as the other one that we've already found. Um, so you just, you just have to build up a hard skin. And so again, it's something that I talk to my students about and, you know, making sure that they're aware of their self-worth and what they bring to the table as an individual. While we're on the um, topic of the positive mental health, is there any advice you would give to a student for them to work on having a positive mindset? Yeah. So again, it's all down to the individual because it's very easy for me to say, you know, well, exercising releases those wonderful hormones and chemicals in your body um, that, that help you feel better about yourself and then also at the same time you're working on your physical health so therefore you're going to feel better and you're going to have a positive outlook if the individual doesn't like exercising then it can be quite judgmental of me to assume that that's the way to get better it's about talking to the individual what do they like doing what do they find happiness in sometimes they can't even recognize it so starting off with, okay, well, what do you do when you're, when you're outside of college? What do you do when you're at home? Do you do, you know, do you talk to family or friends outside of college? Social interaction is so important. And many students, especially, you know, the ones that, that I interact with are big gamers. So for them, it's they'll talk online whilst they're playing a game, but they don't tend to talk with the individuals or actually meet up with friends that that live you know around them that they know you know are humans I'm not going to say go and meet up with that stranger that you're talking to on over you know that FIFA game I'm not going to say that but getting them to talk to people is a huge step because they don't realize first of all the skills that they're using and they're building not just communication skills but confidence and understanding what their thoughts and their views are about topics that they may not realize they have. And talking about their issues as well, especially for young men, men of all ages. But if we're talking about learners, for young men, there is still the stigma about, you know, chin up, just carry on, just, just get on with it. And that's not right. So some young men that I've spoken to do have a really difficult time of talking about how they feel. So it might not be that they can talk to their friends and family about it, but maybe they can find a safe person. So if you can be that safe person that they can talk to, they can have a chat to, it could mean everything. You could be the only one they've spoken to all day. Yeah. So if you can provide that non-judgmental approach and just talk to somebody it may not be straight away that they tell you how they're feeling and you may not even realize something's wrong, but it could be the start of, of a trusting re relationship. And I mean that in the sense of, you know, two individuals that are communicating. So obviously, you know, it'd be talking about a professional relationship between you and a learner so that they can talk to you and, for me, humor is very important. I use humor a lot, all of the time, actually, as much as I can. I use humor. Humor can diffuse attention. It can diffuse, you know, a situation that might otherwise become quite aggressive or conflicting. 
and it can help bring out those students that are shy and maybe not engaging and you start to see, oh, they chuckled there. So they are listening. They may not want to engage, but they are listening. So for me, it's about working on that individual as an individual, finding out what they like, having a chat with them and knowing that they've got a safe space. And of course, if you can get the information of, you know, apps or if they do want to, you know, if they do feel they want to talk to somebody professional, if you can have that information on hand so that you can provide that to them um, so that they know that they're valued and they know that they do have other places in their community, online, and even at college that they can actually go to and, and talk to a professional if they want to do that. Yeah, I think that's great as well because I know there is a lot of people out there who they would prefer to speak to someone they don't know if they aren't able to speak to friends or family. So I think the apps and places like in their town or something is a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Another aspect of mental health is taking care of yourself. And how important would you say that is? Hugely important, hugely. I like to think of it, I love metaphors. Okay, so stick with me. If you had a bottle of water and it was full, imagine that bottle of water and the water inside of it is your happiness and your peace and you are full, so you are content. Then you have a stressful day and it kind of takes it out of you a little bit. Then you go to the shops and you're a little bit impatient because there's a big queue and someone in front of you has got a load of shopping. You've got a loaf of bread, but they're not letting you go in front of you. So you're using up a little bit more. Then you've got an assignment to do when you get home, using up a little bit more. Then you find out a friend's having a bad day, so you support them. Each time you experience stress, any form of trauma or any kind of negativity like anger or frustration or impatience, that bottle of water goes down a little bit. If you don't take the time to refill it with things that make you happy, you get to the point where it goes completely empty. And at that stage, that's when we do get things like heightened anxiety. We do get things like low mood, which can lead to depression. So finding out things that you enjoy, whatever they are, is going to help you. And again, of course, you know, physical well-being is so important. Fitness is really important because of how good it is for not just your body, but also your mind. But again, for me, I want to talk to the individual and how they feel happiness, how they feel relaxed, what they do to unwind if they're stressed. So listening to music, um, that's really, and I could, I could go on about, you know, the different types of waves, not just tempo, but the different types of waves, you know, and alpha waves, beta waves. Um, and then watching films because it is that escapism, the stress relief of, of just talking. If you have a dog, you release serotonin and you release serotonin in them just by stroking a dog. So that's actually proven to help. So if there is something that you can do to help build up that water, to put those droplets of water back in, it can then re-help you to deal with those issues, you know, become more resilient. You can't be resilient on an empty bottle of water. 
get some good sleep, read a good book, pamper yourself, have a bath, candles, go for a run, boxing, whatever it is, something that you enjoy to fill up that bottle a little bit more so that you can then deal with the daily things that don't always go your way. I mentioned earlier on in the podcast that I wanted to get into amateur dramatics, but I've always found that once I call places up or once I really sort of get looking into groups around me and uh, all the different avenues you can go down to get into acting, I normally get quite self-conscious. Don't. <laughs> That's the easiest thing to say. Don't. I have been to a number of Amdram groups and they are so friendly, so embracing, so inviting. I've never been to one where there has been anyone that's been judgmental. The, the, the ones that I've talked about um, earlier on, as I said, they, they are one in, in very, very many where you might just get a couple of actors who may feel they are on their professional way. And so you're dealing with a different level of ego. But Amdram groups are wonderful, wonderful groups. And it doesn't matter how good of a performer you are. If you're willing to be silly, be fun, take some direction, then it's definitely for you. It can improve your well-being. It can improve your confidence, a variety of skills, really. But most importantly, if it's something you enjoy, being silly, um, being fun and taking on different characters and exploring yourself as well, then absolutely go for it. Don't feel any shyness at all. That's what I've always liked about any dramatics that I've done at school is just the opportunity to be silly and express yourself. I came into this recording wearing a silly stick-on moustache that I used for a bit of filming elsewhere in the college. And it looked great. Thank you very much. I think you should try one every week, maybe either once a week or once a day. Just something different. See who notices. Yeah. Solve a couple of crimes. It, def it looked like a Poirot tash. There's definitely a few things you could do wearing that tash. And yes, please tell me if you are going to set up an Amdram group, I can think of more than a handful of staff members at this college that would also be interested in that. Amazing. Yeah, I'm all for it. Finally, Gemma, I'd like to ask, what is your favourite musical? Wicked. Oh, no. Frozen. <laughs> okay, so musical theatre... Hamilton. We could be here for a long time. I'm going to settle on Hamilton. I know every single lyric, every single one, and I do get into character with them as you have to. And then for, for musical films, Frozen. Again, every song. My shower is very proud of me. Yeah, Hamilton is excellent. What's your favourite song from Hamilton? There's a couple, but... I really like my shot because of the power of it. But then about halfway through, although I know all the lyrics, I then get caught up with actually the numbers, what, what the, the title is. But about halfway through, there is like a medley of 
history has its eyes on you and my shot and it gets me every time I get really raced up really empowered by it so I absolutely love that do you have a favorite I really like you'll be back that was stuck in my head for a few weeks after I watched the Hamilton Disney plus version do you get into character when you sing it yes I do brilliant (laughs) said that was such confidence there yeah Okay, brilliant. Gemma, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, guys. I really, really appreciated this this chance to have a bit of a platform and, and a chat. I think it's wonderful what you're doing. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the honesty in both of the topics that you've talked about today. And mental health is obviously so important. It's great to have someone talk honestly about it. Thank you. I appreciate that. If you'd like to be on the podcast, send us an email. We are digitallearning at bdc.ac.uk. We'll be back in two weeks with another podcast episode.